Hey everyone, I'm Sam Shaheen and you're listening to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. DWRs or durable water repellent coatings play an enormous role in the performance of your outdoor gear. However, most of these DWRs are made with some pretty nasty chemicals called PFCs, which are not great for you or the environment. So today, we're talking with Heidi Allen, who's the VP of Marketing at Nick Wax. Nick Wax makes products intended to extend the lifespan of your outdoor gear, and none of their specialized cleaning, conditioning, or waterproofing products have ever used PFCs, which is pretty unique in the industry. Heidi and I discuss the ins and outs of DWRs, the dangers of PFCs, how the industry is attempting to shift away from PFCs, garment care, and much more. Let's check it out. So today I'm sitting down with Heidi Allen from Nick Wax. How are you doing today, Heidi? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So today we're going to talk a little bit about DWRs and PFCs, kind of a hot button topic. But to start off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in your current role at Nick Wax? Sure. Yeah. So I'm going to take you way back. Um, I was raised in extremely rural New Hampshire, like off the grid, solar power, all of that. Um, And my family started backpacking when I was uh, six years old. So basically, because of all that, the outdoors and a measure of uh, frugality has been kind of baked into me from that. So when I was out looking for a career, I really knew that I wanted to work for a company that had a similar passion for the outdoors, but also for uh, sustainability. So Nick Wax really kind of resonated because we make products that help extend the life of people's outdoor gear by cleaning it and rewaterproofing it. And also our focus on environmental issues and sustainability have really kept me with the company for over 10 years now. (laughs) So it's just been really great helping people learn how to make outdoor gear last. And it's really become something of a passion of mine. So you grew up completely off the grid. What what was that like? <laughs> oh, it was really, uh, really interesting because uh, using solar power in uh, New Hampshire in the winter, uh, it's not the most ideal. So, you know, you'd have to <laughs> limit your vacuuming to like, you know, once or twice a month and uh, only use the microwave in emergency situations. So uh, the emergency so that- <laughs> microwave, it's, it's like uh, it's like my little uh, my little space blanket I carry around in my backpack. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> OK, well, let's talk a little bit about water repellent coatings. To start, there's a lot of misconception about these coatings around the industry and, and, and among consumers as well. And so I guess to kind of start off and level level the playing field, can we talk a little bit, uh, you know, give a brief overview of what the coatings are, what they're supposed to do, um, how they're applied, what sort of chemicals they use, things like that? Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, I guess, well, we'll get started by what they are. So... Many types of clothing and footwear and outdoor gear use these coatings. Uh, We'll call them DWR or durable water repellent coatings. And one of the major benefits of these coatings is not necessarily just waterproof or the waterproofness is actually that they help in the breathability of an item. So if you want something that's extremely waterproof, but you don't care about breathability, you don't really need to be involved in these water repellent coatings. 
Um, but because of the way that things have evolved with outdoor gear and people's preference for clothing that doesn't bake them like a hot potato, uh, <laughs> these coatings have become very popular, especially in the outdoor industry. Um, so basically how they work, DWR, uh, it works by causing water to beat up and roll off of surface fabrics. So this basically allows water vapor to escape from the inside, so sweat is water vapor, uh, but actually prevents water mo molecules from passing through the fabric because water molecules are bigger than water vapor molecules. It's kind of not actually that fancy when you think about it, but that's how they work. Um, and they're typically applied at the factory to the fabric or material uh, before they're assembled into the final product. So over the past few years, the formulations of DWR coatings have really started to shift significantly uh, in how they were applied at the factory. This is since the old formulations contained uh, a type of fluorocarbon or PFC that was found to be not so great. Uh, they're extremely persistent in the environment and the human body. They bioaccumulated, which basically means that they build up in your system. And they were linked to compromised immune systems and other really horrible things. So the outdoor industry and the fabric industry as, as a whole globally started working to eliminate this particular type of PFC from the manufacturing process and has been working since to find a replacement for these chemicals. So currently there are a few kinds of these factory applied replacements. Uh, there are what is called PFC EC free coatings. So that means PFC of environmental concern free. So they're still a PFC, but supposedly less bad. Um, and then there's also PFC-free coatings. So those are ones that do not contain any PFCs. The challenge has been is that these new formulations are not quite as durable. Uh, they have a harder time resisting oils. And the other challenge in this whole spectrum is that while there might be other types of chemistry out there, the manufacturing process only uses really one major way of applying these coatings to fabric, and the replacement really needs to be inserted into that manufacturing process for fabric producers to be able to use it effectively. Otherwise, they'll have to come up with a whole new infrastructure, and nobody wants that. The first follow-up I want to ask before we dive into some of the more like ticky-tacky chemistry stuff is... When you were describing the way DWRs work and that they repel liquid water and allow water vapor to pass through, if I were a consumer, I could very easily mistake that language for language that manufacturers use to describe membranes. Whether that's true or not, it depends on the membrane. But I guess what separates a DWR from a membrane? What makes them different or what different role do they play in an overall fabric laminate? Great question. Uh, so a DWR is going to be a coating applied to the exterior of a fabric, whereas a membrane is usually some sort of extruded polymer um, that has a similar concept of having spaces that are large enough to allow that water vapor to pass through, but small enough to prevent the water from getting in. Um, the challenge is that these uh, these membranes on their own generally are not 
durable enough to be manufactured into a garment without a, a face fabric on the exterior. So then that face fabric needs to be coated with this water repellent coating <laughs> so that water beads up and rolls off of the exterior. So you can have two types of rain jackets. We'll use rain jackets as an example. You can have ones with a membrane. So that would be something like a Gore-Tex membrane or an event. And you can have them without. And those will be the waterproof breathable jackets that usually have a slightly lower price point. Um, and they don't have a membrane, but they do still have the DWR. So there's going to be some different uh, ways those jackets work. But basically, the interesting part is that in either one of those jackets, if that water repellent coating were to fail, and if water would absorb into that face fabric, then the breathability of the jacket basically gets reduced to next to nothing. In the jacket without the membrane, you'd also get wet because the water would just go right through to your skin. In the jacket with the membrane, like a Gore-Tex, for instance, you wouldn't get wet from the outside because the water still couldn't get through to your skin. So it does give you that extra layer of protection, the water repellent coating does. But again, it's really there to help with the breathability. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point to make for the consumer, for the people listening, because the largest misconception that we hear here at Blister over and over and over is my jacket's not waterproof. It's like it's getting wet. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's like, yes, your jacket probably is getting wet and that's a concern. But the likelihood that water is actually getting through the membrane is very low. What what you're seeing fail there is the DWR. The membrane is underneath that face fabric. So if that face fabric wets out, you get this feeling of clamminess, which is often caused by the lack of breathability, liquid water doesn't breathe very well but also the, it's it's important to know that the DV, the DWR and the membrane play distinctly different roles in your waterproof breathable garments yeah and it's true they do play very can play very different roles um, unless it is a jacket without a membrane in which case that DWR is going to be the waterproofing on that item sure uh, so yeah. sure well and then also I think it's important to note that there are rain jackets with membranes that don't have DWRs, like the so-called membrane out technology, right? So, you know, Gore-Tex shake dry or Columbia out dry, these various things that are, have the, have a more durable membrane or a theoretically more durable, durable membrane that's on the outside of the jacket. So there is no face fabric, but those are sort of fringe technologies that, um, that don't make up a big chunk of the market. Yes, that's very true. And those actually, those jackets were a really uh, ingenuitive and recent response, I think, to the challenge around these DWRs and them including uh, PFCs. So, but they're, like you said, they're kind of a fringe thing, super zoomy looking, very futuristic, but not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> zoomy. I love that adjective. It is really zoomy. I've got a few of them. I got a few pieces here in my closet. And every time I want to look zoomy, I go out in them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So for the next few questions, we're going to have two non-chemists talk about a lot of chemistry. So for any of you people who know a lot about chemistry out there, forgive us for all the inevitable little missteps we make. But let's talk a little bit about the terms hydrophobic and oleophobic. Can you just start by defining those, Heidi? Absolutely. So the fun part about these words is they use the term phobic, which is very much like if you have a phobia of something, it's almost a, a fear. Uh, so if you can imagine, so hydrophobic, meaning something that basically 
does not like water or repels water. And oleo, being oil, oleophobic, something that repels oil. So, so hydrophobic dislikes or repels water, and oleophobic dislikes or repels oil. And so these two ideas of hydrophobicity and oleophobicity, quite the mouthful, um, are, are, are two of the main properties that manufacturers, engineers, chemists, scientists look for when developing these DWR coatings, correct? Correct. The idea being that we want, obviously we want rain and water and stuff to fall off of the jacket, you know, slide off, beat up, whatever, not get soaked into the face fabric. Why is making a DWR oleophobic important? That is a wonderful question, actually. And there's a little bit of a two-sided coin to this. Um, some people want the oleophobicity because it makes it so you don't have to maybe clean your jacket as frequently. Um, there are other sides of the coin. We're saying if it's going to be used for outdoors in the rain, it doesn't really need to be all that oleophobic because it's not raining oil. Um, so it just it really depends on what the item is being used for. The oleophobicity actually has a lot of background in, so something some people might not know, uh, PFCs, very similar actually to uh, Teflon. So Teflon pan coatings use the same sort of technology as a lot of these water repellent coatings, and they're really great at repelling oils. Um, so, so yes, there's, there is a little bit of a two sides uh, to the oleophobicity <laughs> story. Does it need to be that oil repellent? Does it help the performance of a piece, perhaps? I think the biggest thing right now is that we, with a lot of the old PFC water repellent coatings, they were very oleophobic, but they're also a lot more tenacious and durable. So a lot of that durability, a lot of people tie that to the oleophobicity as well. How are these levels of hydrophobicity and oleophobicity typically measured for a DWR? I've seen it in person or a kind of a pared down version of this test, but it has a really cool name that's going to be super memorable for everybody. <laughs> and <laughs> the test is called the AATCC22 or ISO 4920 spray rating. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and it's a, so basically the gist of it is you take a piece of fabric, you just absolutely douse it in the liquid that's being tested, whether that's water or an oil, um, and then the repellency is rated based on how much of the liquid is absorbed into the fabric. So it, it goes on a scale from 100 to 0, 100 being there is nothing sticking to the fabric, uh, all the way down to 0 where the whole fabric is completely absorbed full of that material. So on a typical DWR that we might see on, you know, a production jacket, straight off the line, brand new, what sort of levels are they typically testing at for oleophobicity and hydrophobicity on this test? So for hydrophobicity, they're definitely aiming towards the, that 100 level. Um, I think traditionally they may have been leaning that direction for the oil as well. However, it's a little bit more challenging to get those high levels of oleophobicity so oil and water have different surface tensions and how uh, all these water repellent finishes work is that they have some level of a surface energy themselves and they have to 
basically be um, lower than that uh, surface tension of the liquid. Ugh. So <laughs> oils do tend to have a lower surface tension than water. So having a coating that repels them is more challenging. Does that make sense? Right. So the 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 repellency, the level of repellency of these coatings has to do with the these deltas and surface energies. And the delta for oil, it's harder to get a large delta for oil because delta has a lower surface energy or surface tension than water. So water has well, water has an extremely high surface energy just because of its chemical structure, right? So we had, that's why it beads up very easily. And we can, you know, put a bunch of drops of water on top of a penny and watch the water bubble grow out the edges, you know, where (laughs) you couldn't really do that with oil. Um, And that's kind of, that's kind of the idea of why it's harder to repel oil. Exactly. And that's also why PFCs are used for these sorts of applications so much is because they do have this low surface energy, the Older, really nasty ones having the best service energy, but unfortunately, they had a lot of other problematic things about them as well. So in addition to kind of the chemistry at the surface and the way that that chemistry interacts with water or oils or other kinds of dirt and grime out there, um, another factor that contributes to the overall quality or performance of a DWR is how clean that garment is. Can you speak to why a clean garment performs better than a dirty one? Absolutely. (laughs) So basically, um, dirt, oil, um, even the, the secret sneaky one that not a lot of people know about, campfire smoke, they all leave behind residues on the surface of the fabric. And those residues, they reach out with their little hands, and this is a very unscientific analogy, and attract water molecules to that surface fabric, which then basically compromises that water repellent coating. So by cleaning your jacket regularly, you get rid of all those little contaminants that are going to draw water into the fabric. So one other, one other small thing to note uh, on, that, on that front when we're talking about uh, cleanliness of jackets and and things that attract water is uh, a common challenge a lot of people face is um, that household detergents also leave behind similar residues that for probably the same reason we were just discussing uh, are also leave behind these hydrophilic or water attracting residues that will attract water into your garment as well. So that's why we talk about technical cleaners for items that specifically have these coatings because they have to be treated with a little bit of care. And we will talk about that here shortly. So we've talked a little bit about PFCs. We've talked a little bit about how they're highly hydrophobic, how they're highly oleophobic, how they make really durable coatings and how those those are all traits that are very desirable in a DWR. But also we've talked about a lot of companies looking for alternative ways to eliminate PFCs from their DWRs for environmental and health concerns. What are some of the alternatives to PFCs to achieve water repellency without this fluorinated chemistry? Great question. Um, A lot of it has to do with creating fancy little polymers, uh, which is something that we do. Can't disclose all of the ingredients, of course. Really, again, there's not a lot of solutions at the moment 
especially for things that are going to be applied at the factory level. And that's the big challenge that the industry is facing, is that they are actively seeking out these solutions, but there aren't a lot that exist because of the way that they need to be applied to the fabric, um, which is kind of a fun little sponge that they use to kind of smoosh it into the fabric. And then it's actually baked on with heat. And that's what activates the current PFC-based DWR. So if they are trying to find an alternative, those might not be heat activated. There's all these different interesting um, challenges that the industry is facing. Um, we, Nick Wax, uh, to call it out, uh, has been working to create some industrial solutions to try to combat this kind of PFC focus that the industry has. Um, we do have a hydrophobic down, which is a PFC-free water repellent down fill. Um, but that's the water repellency is achieved by washing it into the down. So it's a different application method. Um, and it actually has been proven to outperform PFC-based uh, downfill solutions, which is really cool. But again, it all really comes down to this different application method. Interesting. So, you know, there are, there are major manufacturers like Gore and Patagonia, for example, who are sort of mid midstream in the shift over from eliminating PFCs, right? You know, there are some products they make that have PFCs, sort of their high, their highest performing products. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, they've decided that their non-PFC alternatives offer high enough performance for. How, how big of a Herculean effort, or is it a Herculean effort for a company like Gore-Tex or Patagonia to make this full switch over in, in, in their line even if we assume that 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 the non-PFC DWRs will perform at, at an appropriate level? That's a great question. Um, I think it's becoming less and less of a Herculean effort because new technologies are coming out more and more frequently. Uh, if you attend the outdoor retailer show, they have a really neat area where you can go down and see all these different uh, chemical manufacturers who are starting to produce uh, PFC-free solutions. It's just they're not extraordinarily common yet. And there is this uh, a consumer perception that a lot of these brands are still trying to maintain. They want to make sure that they're producing items that perform at the highest level possible and, you know, give the customer this experience that they've been expecting. So I think the shift has been a little bit slow and a little bit quiet just because we are working as an industry to try to find better solutions for these factory applied water repellent coatings. So it's my understanding that Nick Wax has never used PFC in their water repellent products. Can you talk a little bit about the motivation behind that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is true. We have never used PFCs in any of our products. Um, at one point, I think it was, might've been back in the, in the nineties, uh, some of our chemists looked into them because they are great at being water repellent. But after doing some very thorough digging on the topic, we saw some concerning reports about their effects on the environment and on human health uh, from different medical studies that had been done at the time. Um, and based on that research, uh, we decided, Nick, the founder of Nick Wax, decided that we couldn't in good conscience put them in our products. And a lot of that does have to do with the fact that we make bottles <laughs> bottles of goo that's a really great way of putting it uh we make <laughs> bottles of stuff that people <laughs> bring into their home so if you're going to have a high concentration of a chemical in somebody's house we wanted to be absolutely certain that it was safe for people and for their for their kids um 
So because of that, we've never used them. Actually, our founder, Nick, who likes to think of himself as a little bit of a little bit of a, a rebel and a scofflaw in the industry, he was one of the first people to start decrying the use of PFCs in the industry. Um, we were talking about fluorocarbons and PFCs before they became a hot button topic. We did feel like we were railing against a brick wall for a while. <laughs> no fluorocarbons. Um, so... So yeah, and but you know, I we as a company feel great about the fact that we have uh, have never used them, but have still managed to make high performing waterproofing products. It's pretty cool. So I this is this is something that I I think about a lot, and I I, I guess I'm not really sure I expect you or anyone really to have an answer on this, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Um, you know, we have we have a growing body of research that shows that PFCs cause these various issues, you know, bioaccumulate, fertility issues, environmentally persistent, whatever. How can we, or, 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 or how can we know that the chemistries, the alternative chemistries are any safer? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we, we at Nickwax still, refuse to use any type of PFC, whether it's was the old version, which is called C8, because it has an eight carbon chain. The current one is called C6, has a six carbon chain. Um, C6 chemistry has been proven to degrade in different ways than the C8 chemistry. So it's possible that it is better, but it's also possible that it's just different. Um, so that's why there's a difference, a delineation between PFC free and what they're calling that PFC EC, this free, this PFC of environmental concern free. Um, but you know, we, that's the interesting thing about science is we, we learn new things all the time. And if we get new information, we, hopefully we shift as, as fast as we can. So apart from PFCs, how do Nick Wax's aftermarket DWR treatments differ from most DWRs that are applied to garments or, or, or to fabrics, rather, at the factory? So that's a great question. Uh, ours don't require heat to activate um, like the ones applied at the factory do. Um, and most of ours can be applied in a washing machine, um, at least the ones for garments, uh, which is kind of a nifty way of making sure that your garment is very evenly covered. You don't miss any spots um, and it's pretty convenient for the user. Uh, additionally, all of our products are water-based, so we don't use any harmful solvents to carry our waterproofing molecules. We just use plain old water. Um, and all of, our, all of our products are biodegradable as well. So... Nick Wax has some pretty impressive environmental and transparency initiatives. Uh, I was, I got kind of rabbit hole down your side a few days ago, looking into all, <laughs> all the stuff that you guys publish. Can you give a brief rundown of, 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 of some of that stuff? Yes. Yeah. So our, our website is something of a rabbit hole when it comes to this. And we, we believe in posting all of the information boom, there for you to see. Um, I will attempt to distill it a little bit here because there's a <laughs> lot going on. Um, but the first thing, which we kind of already have spoken to to some degree, is our focus on clean chemistry. So we're the only major aftercare, aftercare company to have never used PFCs or aerosols. Um, all of our products are water-based, which we talked about uh, as well. And uh, 
biodegradable and non-persistent is another big focus for us in all of our products. So we don't want our products to persist in the environment or the human body. Uh, we also do post our restricted substances list publicly on our website for everyone to see, and it is more restrictive than most uh, certifications available. Um, and let's see, we also have a pretty high focus on um, carbon balancing. So in 2007, we actually started carbon balancing all of our operational carbon emissions for the year and then one year prior. And in 2017, we offset all of the carbon emissions for that year and then our first 20 years of operations all in one year. So that makes us carbon balanced all the way back to 1977, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and uh, we also uh, do a lot with conservation. So we work with organizations like Conservation Alliance, uh, Protect Our Winters, uh, IACA in Europe, European Outdoor Conservation Association. Um, so we do that to protect public lands and support legislation that helps protect the climate and the outdoors. Um, and really, last but not least, we focus a lot on uh, reducing consumption. So another fun little thing on our website is we keep track of and post publicly uh, our CO2 emissions, our electricity use, our water use, and our waste. So our recycling versus our landfill waste. And we also just recently committed to producing all of our bottles from recycled plastic by next year, 2020. So yeah, the, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the, the consumption style is what had me really, really just like enamored. I mean, it's, it's really detailed. There's a bunch of interesting annotations in a lot of these charts on your website that go through, you know, like, yeah, how much water or carbon or electricity or yeah, the recycled versus landfill, all that stuff. It was, it was really fascinating. And, um, I know a lot of companies do have transparency initiatives, you know, like Patagonia has footprint chronicles, for example, where you can go and kind of track the supply chain of a garment. But, um, I think you guys are in sort of a unique position to have a really closed loop and complete look at an, at the entire impact of your business, you know, and that was that was really interesting to me because in in, in a in a big company like one of these global garment manufacturers, like, well, the seam tape gets made in Korea and the membrane gets made in the United States or the or in Japan or who knows where, and then it all gets shipped to China to get sewn or to Southeast Asia or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of just like I think stuff that gets lost in the shuffle, but the completeness and the closed loop aspect of that whole part was was really was really cool to me. I th I, I think I, I would be happy if other companies took a took a page out of your book on that one. Well, thanks. That that means a lot. I know. I mean, it's kind of the whole purpose for our existence is extending the life really of outdoor clothing and footwear and equipment and helping keep that out of landfill. So I feel like it would only make sense that we would practice what we preach, so to speak, on our own selves. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys do a pretty good job. So to, to finish up, I want to talk a little bit about what the future of DWRs might be. So, you know, we talked a little bit about these garments that don't use DWRs that have the membrane on the outside, for example, but we haven't talked about sort of what, I guess, what do you think might be the next, the next frontier in DWRs? Like we see, we've seen a lot of advancements in membranes and even backers and these three layer garments and in lamination techniques and all this stuff. But besides the recent PFC free push, DWRs have kind of stayed the same for a long time. What do you think the future of DWRs is? 
Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for a little bit more innovation, especially in the outdoor industry. I mean, you can, I, I've, I've railed on it a few times here, but the challenge that we're facing right now is, is kind of trying to find this plug and play solution for current uh, DWRs. But if we kind of remove that infrastructure from the equation, I feel that people could be a little more creative with coming up with different chemistries for for DWR coatings or different application methods that don't require heat activation. Or, I mean, some of these cool new uh, membrane technologies, those show some really neat innovation on behalf of the industry. So I, we just need to... Uh, Get more, get more scientists here. I suppose I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, one of the things that I've talked to several different people about in the industry recently is this idea of non-chemical DWR. So not not using a coating at all for the durable water repellency, but rather building it in as a feature of the face fabric. Right. So this idea of modifying warp and weft of a weave, using different surface topology of the individual fibers in a face fabric, for example, things like like modifying things like that to create a DWR. I don't I I don't know. Have have you heard of, of anything like this? Mm-hmm. I've heard of a couple uh, kind of built in uh and I've heard, uh, so we actually have a sister company uh, that's sold mainly in the UK called Paramo that is a clothing brand. And they produce outdoor clothing without using PFCs. Um, they do still use DWR coatings, but they also utilize some really interesting technology that's kind of, it's a based biomimicry basically, and it kind of mimics animal coats. So yeah, these different different length fibers to help push water droplets out and away from the body. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, we could definitely look to, look to, this sounds a little uh, hippy dippy, but look to nature for some interesting <laughs> solutions. Um, and yeah, that's, I mean, examples like that are great, uh, great examples of innovation and looking for different, different ways to do things, not just trying to find, don't there's there's a saying I guess in product design it's don't make a new spoon invent a different way to eat soup uh, so <laughs> yeah well it's funny that you mentioned that you mentioned Paramo um, we had a reader recently reach out to us and and introduce us to the brand a few weeks back and so I read up a whole lot on this uh, this anal it's Nick Wax analogy is 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 the technology right yes um, it's so cool. I really, really want to test it. Um, so yeah, it's because it, it's a it doesn't use a membrane. It just uses it, it's kind of like and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure you know more than I do. Um, my understanding is there's kind of like it's it's sort of like a two layer thing. There's a face fabric and then there's what they call a pump liner underneath mm -hmm. that. And the pump liner doesn't have a membrane in it, but the idea is that it soaks through in heavy wet conditions and then actively like has a super strong wicking action that pushes all that water then back out and it's a fully waterproof garment theoretically without a membrane it, it, is is that all accurate <laughs> more or less uh yeah it does still use a, a water repellent coating on the exterior to, to help prevent water from getting in uh from the outside but if it does or if you sweat a lot it does utilize this pump liner to basically 
push the moisture away from your body to the exterior of the garment so it'll evaporate a lot faster. So it helps use your own your own body's kind of natural uh, heat and, and other things to to cause you to stay dry. Yeah, super cool. What a, what a really cool concept. I would love to check it out. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Heidi. I hope this was informative to our listeners and didn't just confuse them more with all the... Uh, all the all the tech talk here but i know i learned a lot and had a had a great time talking so thanks for your time and hopefully we can look forward to a pfc free world here in the near future well thank you very much for the time and uh yeah if you get too confused about all this pfc talk just remember keep your jacket clean and you don't have to worry about it as much (laughs) (laughs) there you go there you go cool uh thanks so much heidi have a good one you too That's it for this episode of Gear 30. Thanks to Heidi for the conversation, Luke Alley for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. If you're enjoying these Gear 30 episodes, please spread the word to your gearhead friends. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you again next week.